thank you so much, Christopher and Angela and Leon. They're back there. I want to take a little bit of time uh, tonight, and again, we'll have opportunities throughout the weekend for this, uh, for a, a little Q&A. So some of you have maybe already been thinking about your questions. Some of you have maybe have written them on some of the cards. There's cards at the end of each aisle. If there's a question you'd like to ask, but you really don't want to be the one to ask it, um, that's what those are for. And so I'm going to have Jay actually collect those, and we'll give you a few minutes to fill those out um, before we start kind of going through some of those. We'll just open it up, um, maybe take 10, 15 minutes tonight uh, for some questions, uh, either specifically about the Yuan story or generally speaking, and, and I'll invite Rachel to come up and um, field some of those if you want to or not. <laughs> Rachel's going to be sharing more tomorrow and tomorrow night. Um, but you are free to jump in. How about that? <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, um, and what I'm going to do is I've got a couple of microphones, I think. Is the other one still on there? Oh, oh there it is. Uh-huh. Got a couple of microphones, and so I'm going to give another one of these to Jay. And um, we'll, when you ask it, we want to be able to hold the microphone up. Partly so, every, mainly so everyone can hear you, but also because we're recording this and we want to be able to catch the question, not just the answer. So um, if you've got a question to ask, just raise your hand. We'll come bring you the microphone. Um, and uh, otherwise, you can be thinking about that, um, jotting it down on your cards. Um, and uh, we'll take some time for that. First ones is always the hardest. Nope. There you go. Nope. There we go. In your experience, how do you find people responding to your message of not being defined by your sexuality? Because you said something I thought was really important. Let's not deal with who's heterosexual, who's homosexual, but don't be defined by your sexuality when, in fact, that's just such a strong message with any counselor, any school, any therapist, any psychiatrist. They all like to talk about how, as humans, we're all sexual beings, so we should embrace that. So how, how do you find that the message of not being defined by your sexuality uh, tends to be received? Um, so how has it been received? I would say um, I'm encouraged by how I see the evangelical church um, recognizing the importance of um, being in the conversation and, and talking about this redemptively. So I'm encouraged by uh, what I'm seeing. And, and, you know, sometimes we can say, boy, the church needs, you know, as a whole, we, we need a lot more improvement, which we do. Um, I mean, because we're made up of sinners. And so there's always room for improvement there. Um, so I would say among evangelical Christians, um, I'm... I'm this message that me and others are, 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 are talking about and focusing on has been received well. Um, by non-Christians and non-evangelical Christians, mainline denominations, it, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of like written off. I, I'm not even considered as, as, I'm not taken seriously, I guess. Um, and um, especially, I would say, 
before 2016, it would have been much more animosity. Before the Obergefell decision, there was probably much more. Uh, there's a lot at stake for those in the gay community and those who who don't hold to a Christian worldview. Um, and um, so, I think back then there would have been a lot more pushback. Now it's um, there. There still is. Um, I don't really speak much uh, in, in secular contests. I've I've never really spoken. I, I've never been invited by um, people who who don't hold to my view. I've I've been to secular campuses um, a few in the past, invited by Christian groups, um, and um, but but generally it's it's kind of they just they think we're crazy. Um, they think you know we're fooling ourselves and. You know, I'm denying myself, which is I am one denying myself. Um, but but I think what what's helpful is uh, as we engage on this topic. I think as what we seem to zero in on is reality that uh, we focus so much on the sin and the sinful behavior, which it is. But then when we engage with unbelievers. Um, and we engage with it on the behavior part and the sin and the immorality of it, um, we're talking on different planes because we have a different framework. Um, what I believe is a much more helpful uh, place kind of to engage on is uh, before we even talk about behavior and sin and immorality is to actually talk about identity. Who are we? Um, I, I think that that's less of a um, that's less, less of a kind of touch point to, to you know, to argue on. And, and because, that, because when you talk about morality, that's very personal and that's judgmental and whatever it is. But when you talk about identity, it's, I mean, when you get to know anyone, you're talking about who are you? Who, you know, what do you do? And, and tell me more about yourself. Well, identity, I think, that, that's where most people don't realize. Because honestly, I think if, if we... I had to get my identity right before I was able to address my sinful behavior because if, if, I, if I saw my identity only through the lens of this is who I am as opposed to this is what I do and what I feel, and you say that this is sin, well, I'm not seeing as what I do is what I feel is sin. I'm seeing you say, telling me that everything about me, my whole person is sin, and that's offensive to me. Uh, so... To me, I think it's probably more helpful to just begin talking about identity and, and, and really um, gently challenging people to this concept of are we truly, um, is, is our sexual desires truly who we are? And even like that, when people say we're sexual beings, I would kind of gently challenge people say, are we really sexual beings? I, honestly, I think as Christians, and this might be, controversial or whatever, but I believe we should, as Christians, step away from this word, word sexual beings. Now, yes, we are sexual beings in the, because sex, sex means either male or female, or it could also mean the act of sex. Uh, yes, we are sexual beings in that we're all male and female, and that is a, uh, an ontological category of who we are, but when we say we're sexual, that gives the sense that... Um, Sexual behavior is essential to who we are, and that I disagree with. I 100% disagree with that. I mean, if that's the case, then everyone over, you know, 60 or 70, I mean, most 60 or 70-year-olds, well, I don't know, now there's Viagra, so. Um, <laughs> um, 
but what's that? but most yeah but i mean but that's a good i mean that's to, to me that proves the point that i mean i've never i've never met a couple that's you know married 50 or 60 years and i love to ask them this question you know what's what's your secret what 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 would you say is you know made you stay together for 50 60 years because come on 50 60 years that's a that's something to celebrate about right i mean that's a miracle for people to be together for 50 years. that's that's amazing and i ask people you know what is the secret what i've never heard and i've asked many 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 older couples and i've never had one of them say the sex is great that's why we're together for 50 60, right i mean come on that's not sex should not be uh you know the the bedrock of your marriage, uh, nor should be the bedrock of who you are. So, you know, when we talk, is, you know, we're sexual beings. Well, is that really an essential part of who we are, the, the act of sex? And I want to say no. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it comes all d- down to this, this who we are, because it was the mid-1800s that just this, this, the term homosexual and heterosexual were, were created. Now, a lot of times people say there's no, the words weren't in the Bible, which is true, until it wasn't inserted till later, but that doesn't mean that the concept was around. So they had the concept of people who were in homosexual relationships and stuff like that. They they just you know they would just say man sleeping with a man or something like that. Um, so they had the concept, but they gave that term. And what we don't realize is that what happened in the late 1800s by the by the secular world and by psychologists, German psychologists and, and Austrian psychologists. Uh, specifically, they created this term, and what it did was it created this new category of personhood. Rosario Butterfield wrote about it. Her whole book was about that, Openness Unhindered. And and I think she really got it right, that uh, this shift from what, because sexuality before was what I feel, what what I do, uh, and that shift from what to who, this is who I am, has now created this radically distorted view of personhood. And honestly, Christians are buying into it. We, we have, you know, oh, of course this is who I am. And, but it's not. It's not. That's why, like I said, you know, earlier, um, talking about image of God. What if, because for one of the first things in my chapter on identity, I was like, this is not who we are. So if that's not who we are, what's the next question? Well, who are we? Well, and that's where we talk about the image of God, Genesis one we We're created in the image of God, but that image now has been distorted, Genesis 3, from the fall. And we need to understand that. I think many of us don't really understand the implications of, of those two core uh, Christian doctrines. So could you please speak to whether or not you have thought about the extent of your DNA contribution to who you are. Sure. Uh, re- regarding my... Um, regarding your uh, identity. And, identity and, 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 mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and also like the same-sex attractions as well or just, in, in just, just my identity? Well, it's a long and complicated subject yes. because uh, apart from sexuality, there is gender. Right. Or... And, and, yes. and apart from that, there's also If you're talking about gender sex. from the psychological sense, is that, is that what yes. you said? So the difference between gender and sex? Well, there's biological sex. Right. And, and psych, the, there's gender, and there's about 11 different shades of intersex. Right. And then there is sexual orientation, which is what you've been speaking to this evening. Right. 
what I would like to learn is what does science say about DNA contributing to your sense of sexual orientation and whether or not, if that is so, have you thought about how that relates to being created in the image of God? Yeah, well, first thing we need to realize, um, great question. So um, right now there has been research looking at if there's any genetic contribution to the development of sexual orientation. Uh, there, uh, lots of studies have been done, and the evidence looks like that genetics does contribute. Um, most of the studies are, uh, nothing's very conclusive to say definitively that genetics uh, does or doesn't, um, or, or, I mean, what, what exactly, not, not, I'm sorry, not does or doesn't, it, it most likely does, but to what extent and how much. That That is still, uh, uh, not, no, none of the studies have, have really been um, conclusively replicated. Um, with that being said, I think, first of all, this is, this is why at the beginning of my book, I talk about we have to start with the image of God and the doctrine of sin. A lot of us, will, we can celebrate the image of God, but then we forget about the doctrine of sin. So the doctrine of sin is really important when it comes to uh, DNA and genetics because um, there's a lot of things that um, in our DNA that are not really the way they ought to be. Um, for example, we have genetic diseases, right? Genetic diseases are, um, have, you know, there's lots of different types of genetic diseases that, that is from the, the way our DNA are. Um, where does that come from? Is that the image of God? And from our understanding of the fall in Genesis 3, that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it says, Scripture says that there was no death before the fall. Um, and so with that understanding, if there's no death, then there's also no disease. If there's no diseases, then there's also no genetic diseases before the fall. The fall came, Genesis 3, and as, as a result of the fall, uh, death came along with disease and along with things like genetic diseases. So what we, uh, the orthodox, uh, the understanding of, uh, of the doctrine of sin is that uh, when fall happened, Genesis 3, that that actually distorted, that wasn't just a spiritual distortion, that wasn't just a relational distortion, but it was also a very physical, biological, even a genetic distortion from the fall. Um, so just because we have something that's evidenced by DNA doesn't then, isn't, that we can't necessarily then conclude that that means that's the image of God. So I don't know if that, that helps too, because a lot of times we have this misunderstanding that, well, if it's genetic, well, then therefore that's equivalent to the image of God. That's a non sequitur. That's the, the logic, you know, isn't necessarily that just because it's, we've shown something genetic, then 100% means, because actually we've shown that um, alcoholism has, has genetic influence. We've shown that um, even mass murderers, their biology, their neurology, their brain structure is different, but that doesn't make those things right. Um, so anyway, it's complicated when it comes to the DNA, the genetic, because uh, there's been sufficient evidence that uh, genetics plays some role. We don't know how much. So the mistake people often make is say, well, homosexuality is genetic. Um, even though I, I studied, you know, was, was in the health science field for, for many years, um, 
And from that, I kind of switched gears and went kind of more into, uh, you know, the more of the kind of philosophical route and theological route, and I learned to like language, right? I mean, when I'm a dentist, who needs, who needs language, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so words matter. Uh, so when people say, you know, homosexuality is genetic, um, what does that really mean? Well, breaking it down, is is a copulative verb. It's, it's a being verb. It's oftentimes a copulative verb in, in a sense saying that the subject is essentially equivalent to the pre- predicate. Um, and, you know, homosexuality is genetic. Well, so far, the research isn't showing that it is purely a genetic, uh, you know, it's purely from genetic contribution. Most likely, there's many other uh, factors. We just don't know what it is. Um, so we can say that genetics probably plays some role, but not 100%, but also we can say that uh, even if there is some genetic contribution, that doesn't necessarily mean that is 100% then means the image of God. I mean, we need to look at everything through the lens of Scripture to determine what exactly is, the, you know, pertains to what is, what is good and what is kind of result of the fall. Um, so we're, we're pushing up to 845. We're going to have two more opportunities for Q&A. So if you didn't get a chance to ask your question or have me read it tonight, write it down so you don't forget it. Um, and you can even visit with Christopher afterwards. I'm going to ask one more question, and sure. then we'll close it down. And this one, and, and those that I don't read tonight, I will keep hold of for tomorrow. Um, but it's related to what we've just been talking about. How can or should you share Christ with someone when you're asking them to give up who they are? Yeah, that's hard. Um, and who they are is in quotes, like this whole identity question. Right, who they about. are. Um, so... You know, actually, a lot of these things are going to be discussed tomorrow morning, even even the the, the talking about etiology and causation. I'm going to be addressing that more. I should have just um, put it. Hopefully, you'll come back more for that. Uh, but I think what we need to realize is that this call to forsake who we are is not a unique call. This is a call for everyone. Jesus um, when he spoke to his disciples, um, he said, you know, nowadays we don't like to say we're Christian. We like to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, you know, fine, whatever. Um, if we're going to say that we would have to live up to what Jesus, how Jesus explains what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, uh, and we find it in all the synoptic gospels. He says, if anyone, which would mean all of us, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny himself, pick up his cross. Luke adds, pick up his cross daily and follow me. We want to skip over the first two things. We don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to pick up our crosses. And we just want to follow Jesus. You can't. You can't follow Jesus without denying yourself, without picking up your crosses daily. Um, and we think, oh, this is for like super Christians. This is for pastors. These are people in ministry. No, this is for anyone who calls Jesus Christ their Lord. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Following Jesus should cost us everything. If it hasn't, you're following the wrong Jesus. When you give up everything, 
and God allows you to keep some things, that's when you realize those few things that you have that are still yours that actually are no longer yours. They're all his. Following Jesus should cost us everything. 